Welcome to episode number 11 of Making It, a podcast about making things with your bare hands, hosted by Jimmy Duresta, Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff, and myself, David Petruda, the Drunken Woodworker. And before we kick this off, if you listen to the show through iTunes, we'd like to ask you to please rate and review us as you see fit, as this helps the show tremendously. With that being said, let's get started by talking about what we're working on. Jimmy? Uh, I did a the dartboard, remember my, my dartboard video? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm ready to send it to the client. Actually, I can say who it's for because he tweeted about it the other day. Eric Stone Street from uh, Modern Family. He became a fan of mine from watching my videos online. And he's asked me to make a couple things for him at this point. And um, so at the very last minute, I was getting ready to pack it up. And he sent me a picture of a dartboard scoreboard and said, can you do this with all the graphics on it? And so today I went and I had a silk screen made simply because it was just quicker to have somebody make it for me. And I silk screened, I painted the chalkboards over and I silk screened the scoreboard on it with a little bit of a personalized logo at the bottom for him. And uh, so that was my day, just making sure I did that perfect. And unfortunately it wasn't in a video, but eventually I will do more silk screening in a video. And I'm glad I got that done. Bob, what do you got? Um, last week I finished up uh, uh, two videos, and so I'm going to be releasing one of them the same day this episode goes out. And I'm getting back to my Maker 101 series, which is uh, you know kind of like entry level, uh, just helping people get an idea of some basic stuff so that they can you know get closer to making the stuff they want if they don't have any experience. So this one is all about circuits, and it's uh, just a real. It's not about specifically wiring anything. It's more just explaining what a circuit is, what are some components you'll run into if you get into electronics and it's been on my list for a really long time so I'm really glad to finally get get it out and get back to the maker 101 stuff because a lot of people ask for it so it's a great video by the way oh thanks uh, David what about you uh, that's a good question not a whole lot of shop time this past week uh, I still didn't put out that spline jig video uh, it's done so it's going to go out Thursday or Friday uh, I got a new toy that I've been putting together, and we're going to talk about that shortly. So I'm going to I'm going to tease everybody with that. So yeah, but not a lot of shop time for me. It's cold. It's really cold here this time of year. I know well, it's a bummer. Yeah, I'm not I'm not very motivated to go down in the basement. I, I'll try not to rub in the fact that it was 81 degrees today here. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to rub it in anyway. So. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, speaking to uh, David's toy that he got, I got the same toy, which brings us to our first sponsor for this show ever, which is really awesome. Uh, Inventables is our first sponsor, and uh, I want to thank them for helping this show grow. And so they have a new product out. You've probably seen it around. If you haven't, it's a a really worthy successor to their ShapeOko 2 CNC machine. It's called the X-Carve. And there's tons and tons of cool stuff about it. It's a... Kind of an upgrade to the machine. It, you know, the new machine is backwards compatible to the old machine, and but it's a it's a pretty substantial improvement. Um, so yeah, David and I both got one, and we we're really excited to get them together and start doing some side by side testing. And you know, um, but every everything I've seen about it, and I've talked to them a lot about the process, the changes they made, and it's pretty awesome. And the cool thing is, they improved everything about the machine, fifty percent fewer pieces. So Build time is like cut in half. That's funny. And they got a better machine for the same price. That's great. I have the old machine still in a box right here at my feet. And uh, <laughs> in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to put it together so we can make comparisons. You guys could tell me what I'm missing. Yeah. And when you <laughs> and get your Shipoko 2 finished and you want to upgrade it to the X-Carve, you can actually do that. You can just order a, an upgrade kit. So Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to playing around with that and actually inventing some new methods. Seriously, I mean, it sounds like a joke because it's from Inventables, but I, but I mean... I really do want to try and break the barrier with this thing and try and figure out some new techniques. I got a, I got a new technique that I'm going to, I don't, it might not be completely new, but I've never seen anybody else do it. And so I got a couple of videos coming out where I actually do this technique and, and it's, it's really hard to explain. So I'm not going to try to explain it. Just know that I've got three or four CNC videos planned over the next three months. So oh, cool. that was a rough teaser. That was a rough teaser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Go to my website. Watch my videos. I have a CNC. I have a CNC uh, tips video plan. Dave and I have planned. So, oh, great. So that should be fun. Awesome. Coming up. Yeah. So uh, thanks to Inventables for sponsoring, being our first sponsor on the show, and just for being all around awesome. They're pretty. They're pretty great people over there. 
So Cool. So, uh, guys, I'm going to bring up the topic for the week. And we get lots and lots of questions in mail and emails and and uh, tweets that basically ask how we make our videos. So we're going to cover that topic today. We're going to talk a little bit about the cameras that each one of us use and the various editing programs that we use and sound editing programs that we use and uh, just some of the, the workflow techniques that we each have developed in making our videos. And uh, Bob, I'll throw it to you. All right. Um, <clears throat> I uh, shoot mainly on a Canon T2i, which is like a DSLR. Um, I have a GoPro uh, Hero 3 as well, and I use it some, but I really don't use it as much as I thought I would. I was really expecting to have it as a secondary camera so I could get two angles on you know, a lot of shots. But I ended up finding that the amount of footage to deal with was just a little overwhelming. I already have so much footage anyway. So Yeah, it is when you shoot a two-camera shoot, you really got to be on it because you end up with so much wasted space in yeah. your computer. Yeah. That's what you really got to consider is how much time you're going to take up in your computer. Yeah, and getting them synced up when you know you bring in footage from two cameras trying to get action synced and stuff is kind of tough. But yeah, so I shoot on the Canon T2i. I have the um, standard lens. I think it's an 18 to... Actually, I don't remember what the actual size. But it's a standard you know telephoto lens that comes with it. And then I've got a really cheap wide-angle adapter that I use on it. Um, and I think that gives it a very different look. You know, in, instead of just the kind of stock look that it comes with. Mm. But it's a pretty old camera. It's not like they're. I think they're up to the T five I now in that class. So it's not like a new camera or anything. Do you always shoot at ten eighty? Yes. Yeah. Right on. And when you output it, you always upload it at ten eighty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you, did you go to film school? I went to art school, and I did some. I did a lot of video work there, but no, I never really focused on film stuff. Most of the video work I did was more motion graphics type stuff, and I haven't really brought much of that in. I have some plans for bringing that into some future videos, but mm. I haven't really done that. So what about mm. cameras for you, David? Real quick background. I, I've, I've been a hobby photographer for many years, way before I was ever in the woodworking. And then at my previous job, I was also the videographer. That wasn't my main gig at my job, um, but I was by default, since I was a photographer, I was the guy that also shot the videos for commercials and stuff. So I, I kind of have that background. Uh, I shoot probably 80% of my videos on a Nikon D7100. I have a whole arsenal of lens, lenses, but the lens I mostly use is a Sigma lens. Um, as many Nikon and Canon users know, Nikon and Canon lenses are crazy expensive. Um, so you can get some other brands for a little bit cheaper. And the Sigma lens is a 17 to 50 lens, which is not very long. It's more of a wide angle lens, but it's what's called a, uh, people would say it's a fast lens, which means it has a very wide aperture. So when you, when you shoot at 2.4 or whatever it is, you get that very shallow depth of field where your what your subjects in focus but everything else is is out of focus and you get that that film like quality with that yeah that's real sexy so that's my main camera before i got into woodworking you know i've had many dslrs and right before i got into woodworking um i started to get into these mirrorless cameras which are not nearly as big as a dslr the quality is just as good and they're just smaller and lighter and so when you I, say when you say mirrorless camera, would that be something like what I use? It, it would be, but a lot of them have a standard lens mount, so you can oh, okay. you can switch okay, okay. lenses between uh, an Olympus and a Panasonic. And um, so I I have a Sony NEX seven. I use that as my secondary camera, and I have a bunch of bunch of lenses for that. So I almost sold my DSLR. Then I started making woodworking videos, and I decided to keep it. And I'm kind of glad I did because I I like the video quality. Um, so yeah, I have a Sony NX7. That thing is just awesome, and it's light, and it's great for travel. Um, and then another little zoom, I think it's called a Z4. It's like their version of an action camera, but they kind of market it towards bands or people who want to record concerts. The mic on it is really good. Hmm. Um, and then sometimes my my iPhone. That's that's what I'm using for cameras. And Bob, I want to disagree with you. Syncing up shots. I use Final Cut Pro as my editing software, and syncing up shots from multiple angles is really easy in that. 
Right, with the multicam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it uh it goes through and there's different ways you can sync it, but the way I do it is is through audio. So if you record audio on all your cameras, it will automatically align oh. the shots. Yeah. Okay. Nice. You could also fake it too, no one's gonna know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, just more re- more manual re- labor to yeah. You know. But yeah, I found that, that's that, interesting. I, I knew there was multicam support in there, but I've never actually tried to use it. So, so wait, so you, David, you said it finds the audio wave and connects it through that. Mm-hmm. So, um, even even if your main audio is going to be recorded on one camera, still have the audio on on the other camera, and Final Cut Pro will analyze the waveforms and align all your shots together. That's incredible. Yeah. I have to get that. And you guys both use Final Cut. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm still on iMovie, which for me right now is still fairly convenient. I think for most people, that's that's just fine, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody noticed, David, that your video is looking really good these days. These last couple of videos look great. Thank you. And, uh, uh, you know, with the overlay graphics and stuff and uh, with the green screen that you're using, it looks really good. So I know that's more capable in Final Cut. So I think I want to try and experiment a little bit more with that. So <clears throat> yeah. I definitely have time to... Gonna jump up. I think you tweeted a picture or something the other day of your interface. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. it got me jealous. I'm like, <laughs> I, don't wanna, I don't want to remember all those different things to look at. <laughs> got uh, me you, thinking. I want to get back into that. Yeah the um, the green screen uh, that I've been doing in the wrap up videos definitely complicates things a little bit more. And I've gone back to doing the the jump jump cuts for a while. I was trying to get a little bit more professional and. It started to get less fun, so I went back to the quick jump cuts, which makes for a lot more editing, but makes the video more more fun. Keeps it exciting. Yeah. I agree. What are you shooting on, Jimmy? Um, I I started out. Um, I'll give you a little background about me because a lot of people want to know if I, people ask me if I went to film school, and I, I went to the School of Visual Arts for graphic design and three D illustration. But while I was there, I was always very intrigued with the film department and. Of course, when I was in school, everybody was actually shooting film. So it's funny. Uh, I'll just tell you a quick little story. Right after, I guess it was it was about 10 years after I got out of school. So I got out in 90. So it was just before 2001. I bought an Aeroflex 16-millimeter movie camera. And I started shooting 16-millimeter movies. And the camera cost me, I think I might have mentioned this before, the camera cost me about five or $6,000 with all the lenses. And then right after 9-11, I think uh, most people remember, it was sort of the... Uh, the boom of digital, like all the photojournalism and everybody, everything was on digital. It was like the real proving ground for digital cameras and, and digital video started shortly thereafter. So now it wasn't even a year later, I brought this Aeroflex camera back in to sell and the guy offered me $500 for the whole package. Oh. <laughs> I had paid about five or 6,000 literally within the 12 months prior to that. And uh, anyway, I eventually bought a DVX 100, which is a Panasonic digital DV tape, the mini DV tapes. And it has that, it was one of the first cameras I had that saw film quality to it. It still works. I have it. It's really sexy camera, but I just, when you upload video, you have to upload it in real time when you're not shooting, you know, when you shoot digitally, you just drag and drop and it uploads. Mm -hmm. So I don't use it anymore. So when I started making my YouTube movies, I jumped to a flip camera, which at the time was the high quality camera that was quick and easy to use. So my first like 30, maybe 50 videos are all shot on a flip camera hmm. and, uh, the quality, uh, I couldn't get up close. So that was kind of frustrating. And then, um, I don't know where I got a call from a friend that worked at Canon. He says, Hey, I know you do a lot of YouTube videos. He goes, would you be interested in trying out a camera for us? And that was the, um, the Vixia mini. And it's the, it's kind of, it's kind of like a wallet shaped camera They they make it specifically for YouTubers. And they sent me one, one of the first ones. And I used that for a while. I really, really fell in love with it. Uh, it has a little flip screen that flips up. It's called the Canon Vixia mini. And if you look it up, it's still available, but then they, they said, okay, you've tested this camera enough. Please send it back to us. And they said, a new <laughs> one's coming out soon. I know. I thought they were going to let me keep it. Um, <laughs> they didn't, I'm glad I didn't destroy it. Like I do everything I have. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I ended up getting the Canon Vixia Mini X, which was the next version of that. And so I've been using that a lot. That's all my wide angle shots for the most part are shot on a Canon Vixia Mini X. And um, then I have the the Canon Vixia is a whole line of different cameras. So the Mini X is the little wide angle camera. And then I have the uh, the Vixia HF-R40. And basically the same exact camera is the... Uh, HFR50. It just has a little bit like more of a focus zoom, which doesn't matter to me because I'm not, you know, videotaping pigeons in a park. Don't you love their model names that they 
choose for these yeah, things. It's crazy. I, I mean, it, it, the whole Vixia line, If you when I, people say, do you get a Canon, oh, you use the Canon Vixia, which one? There's like 75 cameras in that Vixia line. Anyway, the Mini X is the one that I, I highly recommend. Um, it has this real pain in the butt sensitive switch that when you turn the switch on, it opens the iris. It opens the um, the front of the camera. So when you turn it on, it opens. It's like an eyelid. This thing opens up when you turn it on. But because I'm shooting in a shop with dust and granules and things floating around, and you know, I'm always like shooting the router spit right at the camera, trying to get interesting. It destroys the camera. So. I have to kind of be a little bit more delicate because now sitting in front of me, I have two Canon Vixia Mini X's. They're $400 each and I can't turn either one of them on because that delicate like Ugh. eyeball switch thing is all jammed up. <laughs> that's I w- that's what I want to talk about next is I get asked a lot of times, like, what do you do to protect your cameras in the shop? And I, I don't. I don't do anything, unfortunately. Actually, really, uh, let me explain a funny shot. Dave Dave came up with this idea and I ended up ruining a camera. We were We were shooting <laughs> vacuuming. And so I was using a router and tons of stuff was sucking into the vacuum. And David goes, can we put the camera in the tube? You know, the four inch wide vacuum tube. I was like, all right, go ahead. Just give it a shot. <laughs> the camera was completely filled with sawdust. Oh, I have no. it here, right here. When you look at the lens, it looks like looks like somebody unscrewed the lens through dust in it, then screwed the lens. <laughs> I blow in the camera in every direction, and those little dust particles under the lens do not move. I don't know how they got in there. Once you get them in the moving parts, that's that's it. Yeah. So, Bob and I are using DSLRs, and um, depending on the level of DSLRs, there's always a little bit of weatherproofing built into them. Some of them, the higher end ones, have more. So I don't worry about dust. Mine is just covered in dust all the time. Um, on the edge. And on my lens, I have a polarizing filter, which actually protects the lens and also reduces the glare on some things. But you can just get some a normal uh, just glass filter to protect, protect the lens. Um, but, yeah, I do, I do nothing. Once I know that one of these days the dust is going to get to it, uh, it's, it's going to die, and I am prepared for that. Or, actually, my camera is probably not going to die from dust. My camera is going to die because I trip over the tripod <laughs> all, the, all the time yeah yeah um so i just know someday i'm gonna have to get a new camera yeah yeah i'm kind of the same way about it like i i don't work i i'm conscious of it but i don't really try to avoid getting dust on it i do try when i take because uh, I, I forgot to mention earlier i also have a 50 millimeter um prime it's a 1.4 lens that mm-hmm. i use for that really shallow depth of field love those lenses yeah yeah it's fantastic um but so when i switch lenses you know, between that and the telephoto, I have caps for both ends of the lens. So when I take one off, it's like I take it off, it's capped, I put the other one right on to minimize the possibility of dust getting on yeah. the lens, inside the camera, whatever. But other than that, yeah, I, I, it's pretty well sealed up and I don't really care too much about it. I do keep a can of compressed air, the little, you know, keyboard cleaner things. I keep one of those around and when I'm done with a project, I'll usually just run over the camera and kind of blow off the extra stuff Um, don't don't shoot that at the at the sensor if your lens is off right no i wouldn't do that with the lens off yeah yeah. anybody out there when you take your lens off do not blow air on there there are swipes that you can get or you can just go to a camera store and they'll clean them for like 10 or 15 bucks but yes that's one of the things i like about the gopro um is the fact that it's you know i can put that anywhere in and i don't care what happens to it even if the over the lens gets shattered or scratched or whatever, I know that the camera is going to be fine. I can just change the case and, you know, it's good. I use the Canon Vixia Mini X in there. They're relatively cheap. They're $400 each. So, And then the, the Vixia, you know, the HR40s, they're only about $300. So if I destroy one in the process of shooting a video, I try uh, – it's it's not the worst loss in the world. So, I mean, I haven't literally destroyed one, but they just break down. So, I mean, I've destroyed one over time. So it wasn't like one particular video has cost me the price of a camera. So you just, you use that just for eventually the wide break angle. Down. You, yeah, I use the, I use the mini X for the wide angle. And then I use the, uh, the other Vixia for the, for the focused up close shots. So how does that compare to the GoPros that you have as far as the wide angle? Like, why do you use that over the GoPro? Uh, because it has a screen, you could immediately see what you're shooting. You could frame it in really good. I can use the GoPro with my my iPhone, which I do often, but I don't like the audio 
on the GoPro. You can't, the audio is always so much lower on the GoPros than they are on everything else. So I have to pump up the levels on the GoPro footage or put a bed under it. You know, my, my audio is just like scratching and cutting and banging, but I want to keep it consistent because sometimes when I jump to the GoPro footage, all of a sudden everything's extremely low and I have to, like I said, pump it up or fake it, put other sounds under it. But, um, I just find the the footage of the GoPro. I, it's like the more I use the GoPro, like like you said, it's just I find it's more for like putting on the tip of a surfboard and less for in the shop. Hmm. It just doesn't seem to work as well. And uh, you know, you want when you're doing YouTube movies, especially in the shop. Personally, I always say people say, "How do you shoot your videos? How do you shoot your videos?" And everybody thinks, oh, let me get a GoPro. And then all of a sudden you have a surveillance video of you working in your shop. Which <laughs> it's like, I can't, I, I, surveillance video is not good for trying to show somebody how you do things. Um, so a lot of uh, amateur or first time YouTubers will get a GoPro. They think that's the thing to get. And unless it's right up in there, and then you got to also be careful that you're not throwing it out of the focus zone. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to use a GoPro, you know, test it, look at it through your iPhone. Get up close to the action. I always say, what are your eyes seeing? That's what should be on the screen. So if you're working on your hands, you know, put the camera on a tripod and work around the tripod. People always say, what do you always, people always think to me, I wear the GoPro on my head. I don't do that because that's even worse because it moves around so much, you know, when a, a GoPro head mount. Yeah. Like I said, it's really only good for someone that's on a kayak or something like that. But in the shop, it's just too jumpy the footage is just too jumpy and everything so i personally always put the camera right on a tripod and if i'm doing something intimate i just uh i work around it i literally just like hug the tripod and have the camera pointing at my hands and uh when i don't typically do two camera shoots once in a while i do but uh if i do want to get a second version of the action i just move the tripod and then just repeat the action and then cut out the camera move so it looks like the thing's happening from two angles Mm -hmm. um if it's a simple action, I'll do it two, maybe three times, and I'll just move the camera each time. So, uh, Or if I'm cutting 30 pieces of wood, I'll cut five from one angle, six from another angle, seven from another angle, and then I move that around. And you know, I'm actually getting my work done, but I'm also getting various camera angles. All right. So I, I do want to get into the art of editing uh, eventually, mm-hmm. but, I, I, um, but I, I just love talking about the, the technical and aspect of it and, and the equipment. Uh, lighting. What do you, do you guys do for lighting? Oh, I, I just use available lighting and, uh, you know, Dave's inspiration around me. Dave just goes, throw, throw a light on it. He goes, don't be lazy. Dave always tells me, don't be lazy. Get the, get the lights. Cause we have a set of lights. And Dave, Dave Welder. Dave's a photographer. So Dave understands lighting. Yeah. And that's why if you watch Dave Welder's videos, his videos are much more, uh, sexy. The, the, the lighting is much sexier is a better way to put it. The, you know, I, I'm just a little lazy in that way. I'm like always in a rush to finish my video or finish or I'm focused on doing something. So to stop and set up the light is for me is always, it just slows me down. But sometimes Dave will do it <laughs> for me. He goes, he goes, just hold <laughs> off. And he goes and gets the light and he goes, okay, there, isn't that better? And I'm like, you're right. It is better. So the lighting in, in his, uh, a wooden leather box video is fantastic in there where he's yeah. uh, I, I, maybe just, maybe I noticed it cause I'm a photographer, but like the background's all dark and there's kind yeah, of like, no, he has a, like a spotlight look on it and you get, you get the effect of shadows on there. It looks so good. Yeah. Cause we, he, we, when he started, I pushed him to do his videos and say, you know, cause he started making things and putting Instagram. I said, shoot a video of it, shoot a video. You know what you're doing. You know how to do it. And he said, ah, I'm just going to make videos that look like yours. I don't want to do that. I was like, well, try and figure out some signature thing. And, and his signature thing is developing to be his lighting. And he's not trying to hide the fact that he's working in my shop. He, he doesn't care. He's just trying to show the product that he's making. And sometimes he's working in his dad's shop, which is when he does a lot of the metal videos. So, um, again, lighting is definitely going to be his signature. So I, 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 Taking his cue, I'm I'm trying not to be lazy. I'm trying to put the point the lights on the good stuff, like Spike in the Spike uh, Cat House video. That last scene, I <laughs> kind of lit that scene a little dramatically. So I love just video. to try and make it look like the final shot. Dramatic cat lighting. <laughs> yeah, I use um I have two really high power uh, shop lights on my ceiling, and it you know evenly lights the entire room. <clears throat> which is good for a lot of stuff, but it's also bad if I'm working over a piece because the light's all coming from above. So mm-hmm. I have two soft boxes with um, some LED 
5,000K bulbs in them. And I use those for my, anytime I'm facing the camera, you know, the intro, outro stuff, and I turn off the shop lights. And then if I'm working on something and I need to get, um, I'm leaning over it or it's blocked by something, and so that ceiling light, you know, is, is shadowing, then I'll use one of the soft boxes from the side to kind of even out that shadow. But that's yeah. one thing I ran into. I love those lights because it makes it, you know, working in there. I can see everything. There's just no problems. But then anytime you move over something, your arm, you're shadowing it, you know, which makes bad yeah. video. <laughs> so. Yeah, you always got to be conscious of, of shadowing what you're doing. Yeah. And I'll bounce light too. I have a couple of just like, I'll just use a couple of sheets of styrene and just bounce light right where I need it quickly. Mm, that's a great tip. Yeah, just a use a white card, piece of paper, even just a piece of paper, anything like you could use as a as a bounce, just mm-hmm. to bounce the light. So that's definitely something to do. In my shop, I have. If you ever go into my basement, you're gonna be like, "Man, it's crazy bright in here." All my lights are mounted in the ceiling. They're all photography bulbs at fifty five hundred K. When you buy bulbs that all have the same color temperature, you can just I can then tell my camera shoot at fifty five hundred. And then there's very little white balance or color correction post. Um, so I, uh, I I get all these bulbs on Amazon. I think it's like $25 for a four pack. And then I have them mounted in uh, Harbor Freight uh, clamp lights. I'm not sure what, what they're called, but it's just the, the aluminum housing with a clamp on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I rip the clamp off and I just I, I have just the, the housing all in my basement ceiling. Um, probably 15 of them or so. And then I have three. Yeah. Um, and then (laughs) I have a grow. So it looks like a grow house. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's, there's, there's some basement windows and I, my neighbors have have to be wondering what is going on down there. I've left the basement lights on before and I pulled in the driveway and the neighbor's house is kind of like lit up just from the basement window. Um, (laughs) and so then I have, uh, like three or four of those, aluminum housings with the clamps on there still just kind of sitting around. So I can do some like direct lighting. Um, I don't use them that much for my videos because my, most of my videos are shot behind my bench and I have a bunch of lights that are directed right at my bench. But when I do the photography, that's when I'll take the the clamps and kind of clamp it on a microphone stand or tripod I have sitting around. So it's, it works really well. Uh, It's really fairly cheap once you once you get the bulbs so when you uh when you do your green screen do you ever have any shadows that don't want to jump out of the green screen like when you shoot yourself do you ever have any problems with getting rid of the whole background the very first time i did it i had a couple little issues and i didn't think anybody would notice and then people were commenting so uh i (laughs) yeah um i have one of those green screens that it folds up into a big circle and then just like pops open and it's uh, I don't know, uh, eight feet wide by five feet tall. And I just hang that on the, on the wall. Uh, I have two lights that shine directly on there to try to do a nice even lighting on the green screen. Yeah. And I'm about four feet in front of it. Really, you need to be a lot further away from your green screen, but it works fine for my setup. And then there's like three or four lights on me, like three on one side and one on the other. So there's like you have your key light and then you have your fill light just so you don't mm-hmm. have nose shadows and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, 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 we, we talk about all this and I don't want to discourage people from shooting videos because you really don't need all that equipment to make good videos. Just, I don't, I, I just have my cameras and whatever available lights in the shop. That's it. I mean, like I said, lately, once in a while, I do a fill shot. I do a little bit of fill lighting. And again, if Dave's there, he'll make sure that it looks good. But 98% of my videos, I just move it around until there's no shadow in the shot. And then I go, okay, that's a good angle. And I shoot there. Yeah. I want to make it really clear that you don't need all that stuff. I just enjoy the filming part of it. That's mm-hmm. it's my job. And that's, and I just love doing that. So I try to get a little artsy in the lighting and the camera angles. I'm trying to do some different camera angles. I'm also watching other woodworking shows um, and seeing where they put their cameras. And I'm trying to kind of mimic that because sometimes, um, that just there's a, there's a certain way you can film a router table or a table saw that translates very well to a computer screen. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I took a photojournalism class many years ago. I've I've taken a lot of film classes and uh, photojournalism classes and script writing classes and editing classes because going to the School of Visual Arts and, and now having teach there, 
I can take classes. I haven't in a while, but for about 10 years, every once in a while, every semester, I took a different class just to get some background knowledge and some inspiration. And um, my photojournalism uh, class I took, the teacher gave me really good sound advice, which translates to the videos you see me do. He basically said, try and get above the action and look at the action. Uh, so for instance, if you go to an incident and you're a photojournalist, you want to try and find a high vantage point to see what's going on. Now, if I'm above it, but I'm also focused in very closely, I also consider the YouTube screen and uh, I try and fill the whole composition with whatever it is. For instance, uh, recently I did the chisel video and I, I got a lot of compliments on some of the shots I did in the chisel video. And that's, again, just using my Canon Vixia cameras, the wide angle and then the tight shot one. But that's a good example where I just try to get above whatever it is I'm doing. I try not to block the action with either one of my hands. You know, sometimes I look at the footage I shot and I realize I blocked the whole action with my elbow. I wasn't paying mm, yeah, attention. Yeah, I'll do that I'm on like, the drill uh, press a lot. <clears throat> stop doing yeah. It. yeah, yeah, me too. So I got to make sure that the tripod's high and above the action. If it's going to be like an over-the-shoulder shot or from in front of me, pointing down at me, and then later sometimes I'll do that and I'll flip the camera. I'll shoot the I'll shoot right. So I'll be working and the camera will be directly in front of me, pointing at my hands. But then when I edit it, I flip the frame over so it stays in the same composition oh, as some of the other stuff I've shot. So I, I do a lot of times like that. I'll flip the frame or I'll. When I was using Final Cut Pro many years ago. I noticed that if you zoomed into a frame, you'd lose a lot of the resolution. Mm -hmm. But cameras have gotten so good now that I'll just shoot like a little bit of a wide shot just to give myself choices later. And in iMovie, I could zoom in and crop a piece of it. And I've been very successful at cropping shots too. So then again, that's just a matter of the technology advancing. I would have never cropped a shot years ago because you zoom in and it tells right away that it's... I actually go all the way up to 150% on some of my shots post. Um, hmm. It... On the computer, you usually cannot tell that I'm zoomed in 150. Yep. Sometimes when you watch it on a TV, you can. Um, speaking of getting above the action, I try to have the action come towards the camera. So if it's a, it's a table saw sled or I'm doing a rip mm -hmm. cut, I have the action come towards the camera. If it's on the router, the, the, the movement is coming coming towards you. Mm. So. Yeah. That's cool. I, I another another little bit. I'm just I'm remembering the things I've learned. I read a book uh, by David Mamet. I've I've quoted this a few times in some of my interviews. But the most important thing I got out of one of these script writing books that David Mamet wrote was get in, get in late and get out early and trust your audience. So that basically means like I don't have to show me picking the plywood up, carrying it into the room, setting the saw with. If I just start the action by just the piece of plywood halfway through the saw. And then it cuts off and then I throw a piece of wood on the table. You know, I've just cut that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it all depends. I mean, sometimes I do want to show that long shot of me if I'm trying to make a point in a different manner. But uh, get in late, start late and get out early. That's basically start, start in a scene late and get out of the scene early. And uh, that's sort of my editing philosophy. Just mm. trust that people know exactly where and what I'm doing. And, that, and I, like I said, I credit that to a David Mamet book I read. I like that's, that. Yeah, that's really I like good. that a lot too. And I think sometimes I just do that without thinking because I don't show yeah. – like on the table saw, I don't show the wood going into the blade. I already have it cut uh, – the film cut to – it's already started to cut and then you don't see mm -hmm. the end of the cut. So yeah, that's 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 pretty good. Yeah. I mean and then of course the three of us, we're constantly doing this. So we've we got to keep it exciting for ourselves. It's like how many yeah. times am I going to use the table saw and it's going to look the same. And sometimes there's just that standard table saw shot that you just can't get around. You just have to use it just to tell the story. You know, so and it's all about the story. When you go through all these YouTube videos, there's a lot that are just showing somebody working, and you're gonna find that those are the ones that are very interesting. It's the ones that actually tell the story of something being made or why it's mm -hmm. made, or you're just taking your own artistic approach to the way you shoot it or the way you edit it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to yeah. go back to composition. You were talking about composition, and that's a huge thing that I think. You know, all of us have had maybe a visual or an art background or something. So the idea of composition is pretty normal to us. But someone who hasn't had that may not even think about when you look at the format of a screen, you know, you have look at look at the shape and how you place the objects within that shape is what the composition is. That's what we're talking about there. Mm -hmm. and, look at your negative space. That's what I always say. Look at the negative space and see what it can be used for. Like when I frame up a shot on the table, I put throw tools in these negative spaces around just so it's not empty. Yeah. And, you know, the, an example of that would be worth, it would be like 
imagine a screen with an object right in the center of it. And then imagine that same screen, but the object is offset by a third of the screen. One of those is going to be a lot more dynamic if something's moving. And <clears throat> so that's what composition is. You know, I, I just realized that other people might not have the context for mm-hmm. what that really means. But it's really just how you lay out the items on the screen. And in motion, especially how they move you know, across the screen is really important. Um, yeah. No, it's good. Like when you look at my everyday carry video, I did an overhead shot of all the junk that I carry every day in my pockets. And I kind of made it a little comical because I put hatchets and saws and, and all this. <laughs> other. But that was because when I laid out all the things I put in my pocket in a day, it didn't really seem like that much. And the screen looked a little wimpy. So I put in, a, I put in the, uh, the hatchet, I put in the machete, all these things that weren't going to go in my pocket but they were on the screen just to help the composition look cool and full. Yeah. And, and also just to, like I said, it adds to the comedy. story it goes back to the yeah. story of, you know, I wish I could guy. carry all those things. But I can't. <laughs> it's New York city. You New can, York city. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's, I'm always constantly looking at like negative space inside my camera. It's, I've done so many videos now at this point and, you know, I've shot so many, a lot of my TV shows, but the way people always said to me, how did you get TV show this? How'd you get TV show that? My brother got his foot in the door in LA through his comedy. And uh, he's the one who opened the doors, but then we had the opportunity to present uh, videos. And so we came up with TV ideas and we shot the concepts and then we showed them to people. And because they were good, we got a response. And, uh, you know, those couple of those, those TV pictures are on my YouTube channel. But uh, that's really where I started editing is trying to sell TV show concepts with my brother. Mm. And I'm glad I had that background because now I can do it really quickly. And, uh, you know, I throw together a video. People always say, how much footage do you shoot? And it's another thing. A lot of people ask me, do you shoot a lot, a lot of footage? And I don't. I really try and keep it nice and tight because I don't want to fill my, my hard drives up. I was talking to somebody earlier uh, before we got on the call here, and he was asking me about saving footage. So I'm curious, what you, do you guys save? After you get a, a video finished, it's uploaded, what do you save, what do you delete? I save everything. I have it all. In case I make that big deal in the sky one day with some DVD company and they want all the extras. <laughs> I don't save all. anything. Nothing? Nope. Uh, I'll save a couple projects back in case uh, I want some shots, some some like B-roll shots for, for something else. But most of the time I, I never do. Once it gets uploaded to YouTube, many times it's just deleted. I don't have the, wow. the space. Yeah. Um, I bought a two terabyte drive. That's what I use, and it's and I have most of my my last year's worth of projects is on that two terabyte drive. I've got um, a four terabyte drive, a two terabyte drive, a th- and two three terabyte drives, and I save everything. And those aren't all full or anything, but I've needed them for different things, you know, at different times. <clears throat> and then you know, as the interfaces for hard drives have gotten faster, you know, I've got USB two drives which are pretty slow, and then I've got one USB three which is fast enough to work off of, but not really that fast. And then um, just recently I got this, um, I got a new computer and it, the internal hard drive's not really, you know, not big enough to do a whole lot of video work on. So I get this Thunderbolt 2 drive and it's now my work drive because it is ridiculously fast. So all my footage goes straight to that, doesn't even land on my computer. And I I work right off of that, and then when it when that project's done, then I copy those files to one of the backup drives, and I just kind of cycle them down. You know, I, I have a Thunderbolt two drive. Um, it's a Seagate, and it's it's fast. I don't have any kind of read write issues, but once in a while, it dismounts all by itself right in the middle of a project, and it screws That's scary. everything up. So mm. I've stopped. I only use and I only use that now for. Um, kind of archiving for a couple weeks. So I, all my editing is done right on the computer drive, which I think is um, a flash drive, whatever app, the fastest drive that you can get with a, with a Mac. Yeah, it's so, probably SSD yeah. drive, yeah. which is definitely going to be the fastest way to edit. I mean, yeah. I try and keep it simple. I, I don't do too many on-screen graphics. Uh, lately, I've been playing around with the fades and the transitions that are in the program. And, uh, you know, some of them are funny. They, they kind of help tell the story. But that's the problem when you use iMovie is that everything is, uh, you know, you watch, I watch a lot of videos on YouTube and I instantly recognize the transitions or the on-screen graphics that are available in iMovie. 
Right. You know, their title sequences are just insanely horrible. You know, I just have to just get, <laughs> I have to get uh, cards with invisible backgrounds. I make them in Photoshop and then I bring them in as a still frame, 720 by 480. And I just bring it in and I just usually do an overlay. Mm. So I have a couple of overlays of, you know, just my logo that I'll just move in here and there. If you're trying to use the in-screen graphics, they always have some sort of like fade in, fade out, or the letters fly in and fly out. It's It's so annoying. I wish they would just have one that didn't have any of those little... You know, motion graphics built into them. Yeah, or or at least you could where you could edit them and yeah, you tweak can, them to can. a point to where you you know get what you want out of them. So, yep. David, what's your workflow with the graphic type stuff? I know you do. You and I both do a lot of that. So, what's your? Yeah, I um, I'm always refining mine. So, right now, it's everything goes into Final Cut, and I have an assets project where repeatable. Things like uh, lower thirds and and titles, um, certain sound effects, they're all they're all right there in a little library within Final Cut that I can easily pull in and out. I have been using another program called Motion to kind of refine some motion graphics. I'm not a real good motion graphics guy. Um, I want to that's something I want to get better at, but. The way Final Cut and Motion work together is great because you can take a transition or you can take an effect and export it to Motion, redo it so how the way it works for you, and then kind of save that in a personal theme. And so then I have a weekly wrap-up theme that has all my transitions with the exact times on there, uh, all the uh, the effect that I use on the opening shot. Editing can take a long time. We all know that. And so I try to speed up that process as much as I can. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. something I need to check out. I, we've talked about that off, you know, off air uh, about the motion integration. That's something I want to do. I, I also have multiple libraries. One that's music. So I'd, all my music's original. People ask me that all the time, <clears throat> and so I'll make these loops, and then I'll just drop them into this Final Cut library. And so I have one library that's just music to use for different videos, and then I have one that's all the reusable assets, like the intro, you know, uh, the kind of bumper. Any kind of in-screen graphics, uh, any overlays with text, any of that stuff, it's all reusable, just like you're doing. But So I have one library that's working projects, one that's music, one that's reusable assets. And those are the kind of three active libraries that I always have open in Final Cut. Nice. Exporting, I just export as the native Final Cut. I don't know, like April ProRes or whatever. Then I use a program called Handbrake. To oh, yeah, um, make them, lot, yeah, it's a free program, Mac and PC, and you, I use that to. It takes like a five gig file, turns it into a two hundred megabyte file, which YouTube is likes that a lot better than. Uh, I've used funny. a couple of different things for compression. Um, you can actually export to YouTube directly from Final Cut. Yeah, and it works, but you know, it's I've seen some some issues with it. I actually use Compressor, which is another one of the add-ons that kind of like Motion, where it's a separate application that Final Cut integrates with. But so you have your Final Cut um, thing, and then in the you know the file menu, you can just say send a Compressor. It opens your project in Compressor, and then gives you a bunch of options for how you want to compress it. And so I do one there, and you know the movie ends up being I don't know three gigs, four gigs, or something like that. And I upload that. And luckily, I've got really good internet speed here, so that doesn't take that long to do. That's um, funny. I, I just go right from iMovie. It just says share the file. And it just gives you a few options. And I put it out at, at 1080. And if it's a 12-minute movie, it's it's somewhere about 1.8 gig. You know, what is that? 1.8 gigabytes? Does that sound right? Is that, That's about right, right? But, yeah. Uh, then I just use that. That's what I use to go right up. I just use that to go right up to YouTube. One of the things I didn't like about the YouTube export from uh, from Final Cut was that I have a lot of, like, so when I upload something to YouTube, I have defaults for the tags, for the category, for all that stuff. And if you upload through Final Cut or through anything, then it skips all those defaults. And right. so, you know, that that's kind of, it's just a little bit more work because then I have to go find all that stuff and copy it over and... All that, but if I just upload a video through the YouTube interface itself, then it brings it on my default stuff and just makes it a little bit faster for me. Yeah, I usually put a movie up on YouTube and I keep it private for a little while. Uh, like I sit on it if I like it. Sometimes it's you know I, I get stuff done ahead of schedule, so I sit on it, I look at it, 
I share it with people. I share it with you Never guys. Never heard of and that. Then, yeah. <laughs> Ahead of schedule. <laughs> and then, and then I, uh, then I make it public when I can. So I was trying to keep with that Sunday schedule, but I'm getting some traveling coming up. So I don't think I'm going to be able to, but come hell or high water, I have to get my make stuff done. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I have never had videos done ahead of time until uh, now my Patreon supporters get to see stuff a day early before everybody else. So that's given me some incentive, which is really cool. I mean, I'm glad I'm able to share something with those people early. Um, But so they get to see it a day early, and that's given me some incentive to, like, get, you know, get things finished earlier. And then this past week, I actually did two videos, and that was the first time I've ever, as far as I can remember, I've ever had a video unlisted for a week <laughs> crazy i feel so super productive because it's just sitting there just waiting <laughs> when the clock keeps ticking then all of a sudden you're behind again yeah that's how i am that's right all now. be saturday morning yep behind anybody yeah. have a particular philosophy on when and why you release a video on a certain day i just i just started doing sundays not even you know I, I, recently i guess in like since christmas i just started doing sundays just because it just seems right Sunday morning. Everyone's kind of chilling around doing nothing. And uh, but I used to just release videos whenever they were done, in the middle of the night, any particular given day. I give my try and give my videos to Make Magazine. I Dropbox them to them, and then they they put them up with their graphics on a Thursday. It used to be Wednesday. Now it's Thursday because things change there. But um, yeah, I just do Sunday. I don't know why. There's no real reason. I know Nick Ferry does Wednesday. You guys have specific days. I used to always do Mondays, um, and that was really just so that I had the weekend to finish everything up because that's the most amount of time that I have to put towards this stuff. And also because nobody else seems to put out videos on Mondays, so there's not a lot of you know competition as far as people's you know people watching things. I've been experimenting lately with Fridays and Saturdays just to see if that was better because you you know you think maybe on the weekend people are more likely to chill out and watch. But I, I really haven't seen any difference. And I mean, if I someone's going to watch is. it, they're going to watch it. You know, and within that first couple of days, people are yeah. going to watch it no matter when it comes out. And then after that, it's it's kind of people just stumbling across it or going back yeah. through your catalog and looking at old stuff. So I haven't really seen any evidence of it being that important personally. What about you, David? You, I mean, you've got a schedule, obviously. Yeah, I don't keep to it. Uh, <laughs> I try to release videos on Fridays just because I... I I'm trying to do like a Monday through Friday work week and then Friday's that last day. But last Friday I did not put out a video. I didn't get it done in time. And I didn't I didn't want to rush it. So now I'm taking my time and finishing it up this week and Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's a whole I mean and there are definitely people who do metrics on that stuff and have a lot of research about when the best time is for certain demographics and all that stuff, but it's just so specific and really hard to quantify you know <laughs> like hey, if you really subscribe to my channel there. you're not gonna miss my my video well that's not necessarily true though no that you would think that but you know if if it's a day when a whole lot of people put stuff out or it's a day that uh, i don't know like if there's a lot of new content stuff can get buried really quickly so there maybe if anything there's some value to posting it early early in the morning rather than at 10 o'clock in the morning or really late at night or something, you know, when it's not going to compete with a whole bunch of other uploads in somebody's subscription box. But even that, it's like almost impossible to prove. I mean, the way, the way I watch YouTube, like I'll go, like I'll say, Oh, you know what? Let me catch up on Steve Ramsey and I'll watch like five of his videos. Oh, let me catch up on Izzy. So I'll go watch Izzy's video. You know, same with both of you guys. I'll go and I'll watch like four or five of your videos in a row, you know? And that's, that's just the way I personally do it. Like I, I almost think of like channels at a time. Like I'll go to Mateus and I'll watch like five or six of his most recent videos in a row, hmm. you know, depending upon what I'm doing. And uh, that's kind of how I go. Like I just go catch up with people. And uh, if I happen to catch the email that says so-and-so put out a thing, I'll click on it and go watch it. But usually it comes to me when I'm in the middle of doing 50 other things and I'll say, I'll watch it later. And then eventually I never watch it until I watch, till I binge watch. And yeah. That's, that's kind of how I do it. I binge watch. It might be interesting, actually, everybody who's listening, why don't you send us a tweet at Making It Podcast and um, tell us how you watch or if it matters when yeah. when people upload. That would be really interesting to hear from you yeah. guys. Yeah. 
Binge um, watch, just like I'm watching uh, House of Cards right now. Binge yeah. watch. <laughs> I personally, like, every morning will look at YouTube and click watch later on the stuff that I'm interested in. And then at night, I really don't watch very much YouTube during the day. And then at night when I sit down in front of the TV, my wife, just to relax, I pull up YouTube on the TV and go through the watch later list, which is why I have, you know, like 75 items on my watch later list. <laughs> but You know how I do that? It's funny. I, I never click the watch later thing because I never get to it. I'll, if I see a video that I'm like, oh, I really have to remember to watch this, I will click it for 10 seconds and then I shut it off. And then later on, I just go back into my history and find it. <laughs> it's basically That's, the same thing. It's basically it is, the same yeah. thing. <laughs> I know, but I know because I know I could always just go to my history. And I, I'm such a, I'm like an old dog. You can't teach me anything new. I have to do it exactly the way I found out by accident. And that's the way I do it. Makes sense. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Um, if you guys have any more questions about like how we film stuff, you know, tweet at us, like I said, or, or find us on Facebook or whatever. You know, we're all really excited to talk about that stuff. Um, so if we didn't answer something that you want to know, let us know. Um, so where can we find out more about everybody? David? You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash drunkenwood. And my name is at everything. Jimmy Dresta at Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Oh, uh, <clears throat> you guys could find me this weekend at uh, New Orleans Maker Fair. It's going to be at Tulane University. So I will be doing a lecture there. So take a look. Try and find me at Tulane and New Orleans Mini Maker Fair. Yeah, I'm kind of the same thing. Everything is I like to make stuff. The only exception is Twitter, which is I like to make stuff with one F because they have a character <laughs> limit, which is super <laughs> lame. <laughs> but that's yeah. a bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer. But that's what I get for having such a long name, I guess. So, um, yeah, I want to thank everybody, all, all the people on Patreon who's been supporting the show. We've got an amazing amount of support, and now we get to go weekly on the show. We're all excited about that. Um, so you guys are awesome. If you want to, if you're not a supporter on Patreon and you want to help us out, go to Patreon.com/slash/MakingIt, and there's a lot of cool rewards there, exclusive T-shirts and lots of other stuff. So go check that out. And I want to thank Nicholas Gomez and Matthew Dickinson. They are our top patrons, huge supporters, and we really appreciate you guys. Um, so yeah, thanks Big for time. everybody who's giving us support and helping us do more of this show. So yeah, I think that's about it for this week. We'll see you again, or you'll hear us again next week. And uh, yeah, take it easy. Later Thank on. you all. Thanks, guys. Thanks.